Let's take our Bibles and we'll turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. As you're turning there, we're going to begin a new series starting next week, and we're going to look into the first letter of John, 1 John. And we're going to be talking about what an authentic life is. So would encourage you to be praying about that. I'm excited about looking into that text. There's some wonderful truths there that can guide you in, in your walk with God and in your pursuit of knowing Him in a deeper and fuller way. So I'm really looking forward to going into First John. But this morning, we're going to look into First Thessalonians chapter 2. And as we come to this text, um, on the heels of a pastor's conference that I attended this past week, I, I was so blessed by what I saw at this pastor's conference. It's called Exponential. And what it is, it's a, a conference dedicated for church leaders to inspire them more in their desire to evangelize and disciple and to plant churches. And I was so blessed by the speakers, by the overall theme of the pastor's conference. You know, it's really great for a pastor sometimes to just go and get fed. And that's what I was able to do over the course of this past week. And uh, I'll tell you, my cup is full. I'm, I'm thankful for being able to, to hear godly people share what God is doing around the world. Sometimes we get so bound up in our little small sector of the world that we forget what God is doing worldwide. And not just outside the borders of the United States, but within the borders of the United States, God is at work. And the big theme that I carried away with me is this. We're just the voice for the gospel. God is the power behind the gospel. God is the one who changes lives. God is the one who takes what we share and convicts hearts and transforms lives. So that's what I want us to think about as we're looking into 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I want us to think about how we are the voice of the gospel. You know, when you look throughout Scripture, God has chosen people to carry his message. In the Old Testament, there were prophets. There were leaders like Moses. There were kings like David. Many people carried the message of God. They would pen what they had heard. And we have the Old Testament with all of its wonder and complexity. It's talking about God, who he is, how he interacts with human beings and how we can know Him. And then we come into the New Testament and we find the same thing. Apostles. We find people who are transformed by the power of God's gospel. And we find records of it, like in the book of Acts. We find people who needed to understand more of who God is in the epistles. And we find text after text after text talking about who God is and what He's doing in our world. But the common denominator in all of that is God chooses people, imperfect people, to be the voice of his message. 
And that hasn't changed. You and I are the voice of the gospel. We have not just a responsibility, but a privilege to speak on behalf of God, the gospel, into the lives of those around us. And you know, the beauty of being the voice of God is this. I'm not responsible for what they do with what I say. I'm just responsible to say it. And that's where we need to go if we want to be successful in evangelism and discipleship as a community of believers. We have to be faithful to speak it, but to leave the results with God. Because this is God's church. We speak God's message. God will do that work in the hearts and the lives of people. And that's what we find here as Paul shares his testimony with the people of Thessalonica. He shares with them, first of all, that he came when he visited with them to communicate God's message in his strength, God's strength, and in his way, God's way. And what we find in the beginning of this recounting of what happened in Thessalonica is Paul talking about the conflict that had to be overcome. Isn't it intriguing that God calls us to share the gospel, but that doesn't mean that God is going to smooth the way for us so that there aren't any bumps in the road. When we share the gospel, as a matter of fact, we can expect conflict because there are forces at work that don't want people to hear or to know about a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. They're going to do everything that they can to stop the spread of the gospel. So when we share the gospel, we can expect conflict. But here's the wonderful truth that we're going to see in this text. God overcomes any obstacle, any conflict. God empowers. Look at what the first verse says. You yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. The Apostle Paul had written right in his job description from the Lord that he would encounter much conflict. And certainly, that's what he encountered as he shared the gospel. People would oppose the message because of the change that it would bring. Spiritual forces of darkness wanted to stop the work of God in the hearts of people. And yet, here was Paul faithfully sharing God's truth in God's strength. When you recount what happened in Philippi, if you remember, the Apostle Paul was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was run out of town. So Paul moved from Philippi to Thessalonica. And those opponents that stood against him in Philippi followed him. They came to Thessalonica as well to stir up people against the Apostle Paul. But God's work wasn't in vain. When Paul went 
to Thessalonica, he went to the synagogue. There there were Jews who believed in God and God-fearing Gentiles, and he shared the gospel. And when we read the account in Acts chapter 17, we find that many of them responded to the gospel and became followers of Jesus Christ. But there was opposition. There were opponents. There were those who continued to try to stop the work of ministry. And let me assure you, if you're committed to sharing the gospel in the sphere of influence that God has called you to, you're going to find the same. There will be opposition. There will be difficulty as you seek to share the gospel. Sometimes it's an internal opposition. Oh, I can't share with them, man. They won't want anything to do with me. There's that inward struggle that we all have. Listen, I've been a pastor for 35 years, and I still get nervous when I go and share the gospel with a stranger. The palms sweat. Somehow a golf ball becomes lodged right here in my throat. And I'm wondering, how do I share the gospel with this person? Everything in me is saying, no, don't do it. Don't do it. You're taking too much of a risk. And fear can cause us not to do what God calls us to do. I'm so thankful for what Paul says in the second verse. Look at what he says. In the second verse, he says, we had boldness in our God. To, to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. How do you overcome the internal, the external conflict? Boldness in our God. The way this is framed in the Scripture, what it means is this. That God empowers us to overcome the opposition. It's a phrase that we find often even in the Old Testament where Israel would be going against an opponent and they were vastly outnumbered. And you know what they did? They had boldness in their God. And God empowered him. God strengthened them. God gave them the victory. Not because of who they are, but because of who God is. And you know, that's what we need to recognize as we share the gospel. We are the voice of the gospel not because of who we are, but because of who God is. God speaks through us. So this conflict can be overcome by the strength of God. We're seeing God overcome tremendous odds throughout the world. We're finding churches being planted in China. 200 million plus believers in China by conservative estimates. We had the privilege at our church of seeing one of them baptized, that exchange student that was with the Eisenmans, and hearing her mom's testimony and seeing her rejoice at her daughter's baptism. What a blessing that was to our church body. God is doing a work even in Muslim countries where churches are being planted, where people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. God is at work. And it's because of who God is. He uses people, but the strength of the gospel is God himself. Now, something else that we find in this text. God is the strength behind the gospel, but sometimes isn't it tempting to come up with a gimmick, 
to try and supplement the gospel. Counting on man-made gimmicks robs us of God's power. Look at verse 3. Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Now, we're going to pause here for just a moment, and we're going to reflect on what Paul is saying. When we unpack this, we find that when Paul gave the gospel, when he would appeal as the voice of the gospel, he didn't allow error to creep into it. In other words, he didn't look and say, hey, what do people want to hear? Let me package this in such a way that I can tickle their ears and say what they want to hear. The gospel, if we're to be the voice of the gospel, must be given accurately. It must line up with what God says in His Word. You can't water down the gospel. It has to be given in full truth. And so here, God is revealing to us through Paul that we can't allow our gospel message to spring from error or impurity or deception. You know, I had a friend in college. He was one of those guys that always had an angle. Always some way to advance himself in what he did. So he invited a bunch of us over for a football game. And we thought, well... You know, he's providing refreshments, which was unusual. He's having us into his house, which, again, was unusual. Let's go. So we go, and we have a great time, you know, pop and chips and watching the football game. Halftime comes, and he turns off the TV, drags out an easel, and starts sharing with us basically a pyramid scheme about how we can work for him and make a lot of money for him and us. We got up and walked out. We'd been had, right? We'd been drawn in. We'd been deceived. And you know, I reflect on that often when I think about how I share the gospel. We need to be up front. Don't trick somebody into hearing the gospel. Don't use some man-made scheme to try and introduce it. Be genuine. Share what God has done in your life and share the gospel and truth. This is what Paul did. He didn't rely on human gimmicks. He went straight to the synagogue and said, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. Let me tell you about him. And right up front, he shared the truth of the gospel And people's lives were changed. Look at verse 4. Just as we had been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Now here are two perspectives that Paul keeps at the forefront of his mind when he shares the gospel. Number one, God's entrusted the gospel to me. You know what it means to entrust something to somebody? It means that you are giving it to them to use properly. I'm entrusting this to you. So that you won't abuse it, you won't change it, you'll keep it and use it as it's intended to be used. That's the idea. God has entrusted the gospel 
not only to the Apostle Paul, but to each and every one of us because we are the voice of the gospel. In the sphere of influence that you exist, you are God's chosen vessel to be that voice of the gospel. Think about that. Huge responsibility, but God has entrusted us with that. So that's point number one. But look also at this in the fourth verse. Not only did Paul view this as something that God had entrusted to him, look at how that dynamically changed his outlook. So we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. Listen, when you share the gospel, it's not so you can go and share the stories of people that you have led to Christ so that everybody can go, oh, wow, what an evangelist. It's not so you get patted on the back and everybody can look at you. It's not so you can be like that gunslinger in the West, you know. Instead of a gun or six-shooter, you're carving notches in your Bible and check this out. Not the idea. What we do, we do to please God. It's for His glory, not for our own. Not so people can look at us and say, look how wonderful this person is. Look what a soul winner he is. Listen, we don't win souls, we just tell the gospel. God does the winning. So we're not doing it to please men. We're doing it to please God. And God knows the difference. He tests our hearts. Look at verse 5. We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Listen, what Paul recognized as the voice of God is this. I don't need to manipulate people. I don't need to flatter them. In fact, when we share the gospel, sometimes we have to say hard things. We have to talk about sin. We have to talk about need. Many people don't want to hear that, but it's flattery to do something else. So we have to talk about the truth of God. Don't go toward the flattery. Understand that the primary purpose of sharing the gospel isn't to build our church, isn't to bring glory to ourselves, it's to bring glory to God. That's to be our motivation. Bottom line, it's about God, not about me. That's the real idea that we need to grasp and that we need to follow. So here, the Word of God is telling us that's the approach that we should take. And listen, Paul could have come in and said, listen, uh, I am an apostle. Everybody bow down, kiss the ring. I'm here. He didn't. He came in humility. He came as a simple man sharing the truth of God. Then we come to verses 7 and 8. And look at these. If we're going to communicate God's message in His strength and in His way, then we're going to care about our listeners. Now that just seems, 
kind of obvious, doesn't it? Of course we're supposed to care about our listeners. But you know, sometimes as believers, we forget that unbelievers are going to behave like unbelievers. And we're shocked when they do. And so, because they make us uncomfortable and a little squeamish, we back away. That's not what I see in Scripture. In Scripture, unbelievers are going to behave like unbelievers until God transforms them. So, as a Christian, I have to step outside my comfort zone, go to where the unbelievers are, and share the gospel so that God can change their lives. I hate hassle. I hate conflict. Man, I would love to just back away and stay in my comfort zone and not ever risk anything. That's a comfortable place to be. But here, the Apostle Paul is talking about going and risking while loving and caring about the people that you go to. You know what happens when you share the gospel and you don't care about the people you're sharing with? You come across as self-righteous. You come across as selfish. You come across as someone that no one wants to listen to. But when you come and you share the gospel with people and they sense that you care about them and that you genuinely love them, they're going to respond. Look at verse 7. We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The sharing of the gospel was done because he cared about those who were lost and needed to hear the truth of God. And when he shared the gospel, sometimes I almost wonder if some Christians almost enjoy the idea that some people are condemned because of their terrible lifestyles. I've even thought to myself, when somebody dies who was a wicked person, well, they're where they deserve to be. Have you ever had that pop into your mind? Listen, we all deserve to be there, apart from God's transforming power. So we need to be gentle in the way that we approach the truth of God. Like a caring mother nursing her little one. We're providing the truth of God. We're the voice of God. So we're called to do it gently right here in this text. Look at verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves because you've become so dear to us. Wow. You know, when, when I look at this part of the text, I'm really challenged. When it says that He was desirous of the people. He wanted to be with them. He wanted to go where he knew he would not be welcome, where he knew that they wouldn't behave like other Christians. He cared about them. And you know, something that I was impressed with in this conference that I went to, man, I I need to pray for more of a passion and a heart for the lost. We need to love them. We need to look upon them as people who desperately need the gospel and care about them. 
And then when we share the gospel, it's not like, okay, here it is. Take it or leave it. See ya. You know? Sharing the gospel isn't necessarily one and done. Let me take you through these four points. Okay, you heard them? You, you ready to pray the prayer? Nope. Okay. I'm out of here. Paul poured his life into their lives. I read a book about a Muslim who was led to Christ over a process of six years. This guy came alongside him. They argued, they discussed, they debated, but the guy always loved him, had him into his home, continued to share the gospel with him, and he knew that this guy loved him, and it was that love that ultimately reached his heart. That's the kind of gospel that we need to share. Because we're talking about God's love, someone needs to see us model it. That's the idea. Second part, and this goes faster than the first. The context of the gospel must be a godly life. When we come to the ninth verse, the ninth verse encourages us along the line of caring about these people. And look at what it says. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Listen, when you share the gospel, it's work. When you share the gospel, there is a personal investment of your time and energy. But when you share the gospel, it's not so you can get something from the person that you're sharing it with. And you know, God really spoke to my heart about this. Sometimes we share the gospel so that we can build our church. No. We share the gospel because people need to hear. And if they choose to come and become a part of our church, praise God, we'll disciple them, we'll, we'll see that they're spiritually formed, that, that they grow in their faith. But if they choose to go somewhere else, they're in the kingdom. The gospel isn't about my local church, it's about the kingdom. So we need to engage in sharing the gospel with whoever we encounter. The Apostle Paul was working to share in the attitude of a servant. Look at what Jesus says. Whoever would be great among you must be servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, sacrifice, love, that's the example that we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word of God is calling us to share the gospel even in our workplace. The Apostle Paul was a tent maker. So he would spend long hours sewing tents together, laboring. But he didn't do it alone. There were others who were alongside him. Can you imagine hours on end with the Apostle Paul and not hearing the gospel? I couldn't. He used that as a mechanism, as a tool to share Christ. God has called you into civic groups, into workplaces, into unique environments where you are the voice of the gospel. 
and where you can become a servant of God by sharing the truth of God with someone else. In a very real sense, we are carrying the message of Jesus Christ and it is the power that transforms. I love Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation of everyone who believes. For the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written the righteous will live by faith. This is the gospel that we share. This is the gospel that changes lives. We're the voice. It's the power. And that's what we need to grasp as we share it. Look at verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you who believe. Listen, something else in sharing the gospel our lives need to enhance the message of the gospel. If I'm living an unholy life, an unrighteous life, if people can look at me and say, whoa, what's he talking to me about religious stuff for? Because, wow, you know, not someone that has much credibility. Then my voice has been muted when Paul talked to the Thessalonians, he talked about the holiness of life. In other words, he is set apart unto God. Secondly, he is righteous. In other words, not that he is perfect, but he is doing what is right before God as revealed in his word. And then blameless. Blameless doesn't mean that we look at somebody and say they're perfect. There's no fault in them. What it means is when you look at somebody, there's not a fault that immediately comes to mind. You have to think real hard about what's wrong with them in order to come up with it. Listen, when we have that kind of life and there is the credibility of a holy life behind the message of the gospel, our credibility and our voice is strengthened, not diminished. So as believers, we need to pray for love, but we also need to pray for holiness. If I'm going to be the kind of voice that God wants me to be, then let me lead a holy life. Let me be an example to those that I witness to. Final thought that I want to share with you. We need to consider how our walk can actually help others to think about God. Look at verses 11 and 12. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You know what the job of a father is? To try and point their kids to the right path. You can't beat on your kids to get them on the right path. You can't intimidate them to get them on the right path. You can only encourage. So this is what God had Paul do with the Thessalonians. He encouraged them to know God, to know Jesus. And this is what God would have all of us do. Who are you encouraging to know Jesus? Whose life are you influencing for Jesus Christ?
Who are you praying about that you can influence? See, it's so easy for us to get locked in to our Christian community and our comfort zone that we don't step outside that. And I know that if I start praying for somebody, God's going to make me do something about it. So I don't want to start praying for them. God wants you to be that voice of the gospel that encourages people to know God, to know Him. What he's really talking about is a life that enhances the message of the gospel. Joe Aldridge wrote wrote a book, and uh, it was several years ago, I think during the late 80s, early 90s. It was called Lifestyle Evangelism. And a beautiful illustration at the beginning of the book. The illustration was this. The gospel is the message, and our lives are the music behind the message. The message is there whether our lives match up with the words or not. You know, when you have great words and you have great music behind the words, it's a powerful thing. It communicates beautifully. But you take those same words and you put a cacophony of noise behind it. And people get distracted from the words because of the terrible cacophony of noise that distracts from it. And that's the same way with our lives. We have a beautiful message message of the gospel. Our lives are either going to come alongside that message and draw people to where they'll want to listen, or it's going to push people away and they're going to find it terrible. Something that they they have no desire to listen to because of the noise of our lives. My encouragement to me and to you is to be that symphony that comes alongside the words, that that beautiful music that comes alongside those words, that powerful, enhancing type of voice that shares the message of God's truth. My prayer is Oaklawn Bible Church will be that messenger, that voice of the gospel in our community that shares the truth that you can know God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and by grace, find full forgiveness of sin and a relationship with Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this text. Thank You for the reminder that it is to us that we are to be followers who are the voice of the gospel. Let us not be complacent. Let us not be cowed by fear but let us go forth in the power of your Holy Spirit sharing the truth of your word in a way that changes lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.